But really diving into the scripture, um, if we actually move back to chapter 1, John's talking about in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word. And he uses all this this figurative language, the symbolism, and, and it's just full of metaphors and comparisons. And then all of a sudden we get into chapter 2, and it seems like it was very literal, straight to the point, describing a event. And that's kind of how I saw it when I first got started. But to be honest, by the time I got done, I found more metaphors and figurative languages in that second chapter than I found in the first chapter. The deeper and deeper we go. And it kind of shows the value of studying the scripture and being able to pull out so many things. So as I, I dive deep into this, this sermon, I, I do need your encouragement. Feel free to shout. Feel free to say amen. Feel free to nod. Uh, feel free to smile. Hopefully I can see it through the masks. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, up here in the pulpit, I, I, I read my audience, and I do love your encouragement. Um, I know this is a holy place, and this is a place where I'm no more than a vessel, the least among all of us, so that Jesus could speak through me, so that he, not me, could touch your heart. So that he, not me, could teach you something. Because he is the greatest teacher of all time. So before we get into the scripture, I want to tell you just a short story about this young boy. This boy probably was no more than five, five years old. And he was so excited that he was going to be able to spend the weekend with his dad. Now, he didn't get to see his dad that much since the divorce. And even he took the divorce very hard. And when he heard it, he even ran away from home. Even though he just went over to the neighbors and hid behind the porch. But you could tell that he was hurting. Because to him, family is important. Now this boy would wait at the window. And as every car started to approach, he would start to get excited. That could be my dad. And then the car would pass. And this would happen all day long. To find out later on down the road that the boy's dad was a drunkard. That Friday night, he was out partying with his friends. And he was so hangover in the morning that he couldn't spend time with his family. So many people have experienced that. If we look at how many children in our country are being raised by single mothers, that number is scary. 
So when I'm looking at the scripture, I'm definitely thinking about the importance of marriage. Now, of course, this is Jesus's first miracle. At first, I was thinking, wow, I'm going to be talking about the first miracle of Jesus. But the deeper I got into it, really that miracle is marriage. A lot was going on there, but the true miracle was marriage and how important the family is. So let's read the scripture. I came prepared this time. I got my glasses. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now, both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the matter of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who have drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning set out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Canaan of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. After he went down to Capernaum, he, his mother, his brothers, his disciples, and they did stay there many days. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to, to be a vessel, to be humble, to allow you to speak through me. Lord, I know you have a message today. Jesus, just use me. Guide me in the directions. I have prepared myself, but Lord, I'd rather follow you. Wherever you take me today, let it be. Lord, I ask all this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, thinking about this invitation, this was pretty huge. At, at the time, I, I'm thinking there was probably about five disciples. Not all disciples were recruited at this time. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, after... He, we had chapter one, and then all of a sudden he's starting to recruit the, the disciple, disciples, and now there's this invitation. And, and we have to think that this wedding had to be some part of his family because Mary was already there. So when we think about this, 
that this invitation was, was pretty important and they must have known Jesus and, and they did account for his disciples. So they even allow his disciples to come also. So when we look at the context of this, this was probably a very planned event. So when we think about the meaning of the event and why might the first miracle happen at this event, there, there were some few things that went to my mind in the very beginning. Because I, I'm thinking, okay, when I first read the scripture, I get so caught on Jesus turning water to wine. And then I think about my father and I could think about my stepdads. They all drank alcohol. They were all, I would say, alcoholics. Um, I, I remember one time that uh, the night before my mom got married the third time, my, my stepdad got so drunk, he totaled the truck. And I don't even know how he survived this. And, and, and he just took the truck and, and hid it in a garage because he hit and run. And then all of a sudden that morning, he shows up to the, the wedding completely drunk. So the third time my mom got married, she got married to someone that was actually drunk at the time. So you can see why this scripture really touches me. Like why would the first miracle be changing water to wine? Now I'm thinking about Jesus, and, and, and sometimes I, I remember watching, I, I, I'll be honest, I, I'm quite the, the comic book fan. Um, some of you might know I collect comics. Uh, so I, I was thinking about um, the, the last series, the end game with the Avengers, and, and how, how Doctor Strange was using the time stone to see millions of possibilities of what would happen if he did this or if he did that or if he did this. Well, if we think about it, Jesus is the time zone stone. Jesus knew exactly what the implications of this miracle would be in the future. Because he's omnipresent. He knows everything. Omnipresent. That's a big word to say. So he's probably thinking, and I almost I, I'm wondering if that's why he rebuked his mom at the beginning. And, and we could tell it's a rebuke because he doesn't say mom. He says woman. But at the same time, you could look at the scripture in probably several different lenses. There was a lot of prophecy about the wine. And I'll go deeper into that. We could you look at the historical context of it, but you could look at it as a new covenant. And that's the title of this message today, a new covenant. And when I think about that title, there's actually two parallels to it. There's the new covenant that you have with your wife when you get married. And then there's the new covenant we have with Jesus when he died on that cross for us. Both of them are marriages. 
So when you look at this, you can start to see the metaphors, the comparisons of this event. Now, if we look at the covenant between God and the united couple, we go back to Genesis um, chapter 1, verses 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. So if we go really back to the beginning, God created the most beautiful thing, and that was marriage. Marriage between a man and a woman. He knew that for his kingdom to grow, we needed the marriage between a man and a woman. Now, even if we look at my life, yeah, there was an opportunity that I went to church when I was about seven. Then all of a sudden, my mom fell in love with someone, which was my mom's second or my first stepdad or her second husband. He was also a drunk. I remember going out to the, the baseball field, not like you would, but he used to cut the grass. And, and my mom would take beer to him. And he would drink all day long while cutting grass from ball field to ball field. He was already drunk when he got home and he was very abusive. So when we think about the, the need of that perfect marriage, and even if my mom never divorced, it, it became dependent on God. I, I probably could have had an opportunity to be in a church, but because of my mom falling in love with this new person, all of a sudden that maybe those six months of going to church where, where I even confessed that someday I would be a preacher. Of course, I didn't remember it. My mom re reminded me of it. I never went to church again. Really, until I met my wife. So even there, we see the importance of marriage. Now, the second thing that I think is really important about this is that our marriage will never survive unless we're dependent on God. Now, let me say that again. Our marriage will not survive unless we're dependent on God. You know, sometimes we, we think about what are our priorities in life? And I was always told to put God first, then family, and then work. Now that makes a lot of sense because I can't be successful in the other two unless God is first in my life. So those young ones, yes, I'm telling you right now, now I did not say in that order. I did not go from God to job. I did not go from God to work. I went from God to family. 
And I think I have even fell short here. I think a lot of our parents has too. And this is hard to say. When did we put the value of work greater than family? When did we make that mistake? How many of us are focused and have told our children that they need to go to college and have a career before they settle down? I did. I, I mean, I remember even saying, you know, my, my stepdaughters, you know, joking about it. That if they ever brought boyfriend home, I'd be waiting on the porch with a shotgun. What message am, am I really teaching my children? What is more important, family or work? Now, we go back to the scripture. We could go all the way back to the Genesis. What was work? Work was a curse, was it not? And what was marriage? A blessing. That we could do so much more with a partner. So how are we preparing our children to find that partner? You're not dating until you're 23, right? (laughs) I've said it. I'm guilty. I've really had to think hard about this. What are we really doing with our children? Because we're complaining about it. Our children are still living at home, right? And they're 23, 24, 26, 27. They can't find the right person. I'll be honest, it's almost too late once they get out in the world. I know the world came up with a perfect solution. E-harmony. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> we, we might, I, I, I'm not knocking, I've known a lot of Christians that, that found each other on e-harmony and have a wonderful marriage and been married for many, many years. But wouldn't we want to build that relationship with that person that's going to spend the rest of their lives with our children? Wouldn't we want that person to become a part of our family before they become married into our family? Wouldn't we want that person to come to church and go through discipleship, through the classes that we offer, so that they could see the value of that commitment between a man and a woman. Now, when I, when I look at the dependency that we have on God to strengthen our marriage, I, I, I have this quote for John Bevere. He says, just as Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered, We learn obedience by the difficult circumstances we face. When we obey the word of God that is spoken by the Holy Spirit, 
We grow and mature in times of conflict and suffering. Our knowledge of the scripture is not key. Obedience is. Our dependency, like when you're having an issue or a problem, and some of us, it might even be a crisis within our marriage. Who are we dependent on? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? Because I, it doesn't matter how mad I'm at my wife and how wrong she did me. Or, or how I feel or how emotional I am. If I go to God, I find myself every single time on my knees asking for forgiveness. Do we go to God? I know times are going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of different things, a lot of different circumstances. But if this covenant of marriage is between us as a couple and God, would he not protect it? It has to do with our faith. I mean, in my life, I got to a point, like it was rough. I had to tell myself every single day, if I leave my wife, I'm leaving God. And I was able to fight through those times. And I think all of us will experience those times because if you take two different people and you put them in the same environment, there are going to be times that ideas clash, priorities clash, opportunities, what you do, how each other will be treated. We will see those problems. But at the same time, just like that, that quote says, we will grow and we will mature the more we become obedient to God. Now, the problems that, that used to bother me the first five years of my marriage 20 years ago no longer bother me today. It's not that because they have changed. It's God has made me more mature. And even young, I mean, most of you in here, the children that I see in the pews, within five to 10 years, you probably will also be married. And my advice to you, is when times get hard and when you feel like you are suffering, go to the Lord in prayer. Because in our priority in our lives, God comes first. If we put God first, then everything else will fall into place. And God said we can't do it alone. That's why he gives us a wife or a husband. So that we have a partner and we could do so much more together. Don't ask me why I went there, but I, I think that is really important. We need to teach the value of marriage. Look at how the world has defined marriage. Even the nuclear family is frowned upon. Even our government assistance, like you can't get help unless you don't get married. How did that ever happen? When did the value of marriage, that one gift that God gave to us in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, 
has become what it is today. Now, I do want to move on to the miracle because I think the miracle is key here. That now we have the context of the value of marriage. How did the water being turned to wine enhance the value of marriage? Now, you can think about that miracle. That first miracle could have been a million different things. It could happen in a million different places. But where did it happen? It happened at a wedding. That is so significant that when we think about Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine, and we think about even Moses' first miracle was turning water into blood. So even when we look at the con- contrast of, of what Moses did as his first miracle and what Jesus did as his first miracle, we even see the significance. So if we look at Genesis twenty-seven twenty-eight. And really start looking at the wine itself. It says, now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. I started looking at all the scriptures about new wine and how much of a blessing it was. Now, when... When I first learned about this miracle, I'm thinking, okay, let's like go back in time. Like if we go all the way back to to when this miracle happened, did we have refrigerators? (laughs) So when we think about what people would drink, I mean, of the time that the Pepsi and the Coca-Cola was probably goat milk and cow milk. So you really had three choices, especially in this area, in this culture. You had wine. Now, of course, wine, we know that over time it ages and it becomes more alcoholic becomes more potent. But we also know that new wine itself, we often drink, which is grape juice. So I'm thinking, okay, so yes, there's wine because we have all these grapes and that was the crop. That was something, I mean, even even when Moses was talking about coming into this, this new beautiful land, but the sizes of the grapes that were there. Uh, and you could think about wine, it, it would last. We didn't need that refrigerator. But over time, it would get more and more, I would say, old wine, which is more alcoholic. Um, but even then, I mean, the point wasn't to sit down and get drunk. It was to have something to wash down your food. So even when Jesus at the Last Supper, 
drank wine with the disciples. But what did the wine represent? The blood of Jesus. So we went from turning water to blood to wine symbolizing the blood of Jesus that has washed all of our sins away. Now in Deuteronomy 7.13, he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain and your new wine and your oil and increase of your herd and the young of your flock in the land which he swore to your forefathers to give you. So if we continue to look in the Bible, and even if we go to Luke 22 and 20, he says, And in the same way he took the cup after they have eaten, saying, This cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. So now, the start of that very first miracle He symbolizes the new covenant of his blood by turning the water to wine. Now, I think what also is important, because we know that over time, like I said earlier, that Jesus knew how we would take the scripture. Now, this scripture has been used against Christians for centuries. How many times have I been told that, you know, it's all right to drink because Jesus drank? But when you look at the person that's lost, they will take the scripture literally of what it says. Now, we could look at the magnitude of that blessing. Now, as we go back to that scripture, we had, what was it, six wash tubs. Each of the wash tub carried 20 to 30 gallons. Now, at first, I'm just thinking, okay, this is just enough wine for this party. But you know how Jesus says that he will make our cup runneth over? That is, there is so much grace that we can never really fathom how great that mercy is. Now, if we were to take this and turn it into a math problem, 30 gallons times six is 180 gallons. How many bottles of wine would that be? Now, if it was just about 20 gallons, because they said that, those wash tubs, which were really important because that's another symbolism that, that the Jews, their custom, their tradition, their culture was that they used these wash tubs to clean themselves. So it was the outside that the Jews were always worried about cleaning, but never the inside. Even Jesus says what comes in the temple does not defile the temple. It's what comes out of the temple. So these wash tubs were important, especially within a marriage. And I don't even know if they had already been used. 
But he filled them up with water. And he took that water and turned it to wine. Now, I, I think what's also important here is like after Mary was rebuked, the mother of Jesus. I would, I'll be honest, I would never call my mom a woman. Because <laughs> I know she was going to be swinging after that. <laughs> but Jesus had to be firm. Because Jesus follows his orders from his father. And he knew that this miracle would have implications and consequences throughout the future. So it needed to be done right. But when we look at Mary's faith, Mary did the best thing. She didn't talk back. She became faithful. She made the request. And sometimes we will make those requests and Jesus will rebuke us, but he still will bless us. Even though we probably don't deserve it, he still will. He didn't, he didn't say, no, mom, I'm not going to do this. It's not my time. Because he knew the value of obedience to your mother also. And that if he was disobedient to his mother, how would others see that? So even in the scripture, he was kind of caught between a rock and a hard place, but he was prepared. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the situation before it even came to pass. So he was prepared. He knew exactly what he was going to do. He was going to bring in his new covenant that we are now saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, at the time, the disciples, they saw it as a miracle. But us, as Christians, we don't see this gospel verse by verse. We see the gospel of the story of Jesus and his Actions and his interactions and his miracles and how all of them come together. So Mary was very, very obedient. She was faithful. She just told them, do whatever he tells you to do. And you perform the miracle. Now, the, the magnitude of the miracle, going back to that math problem, I don't know if anyone figured it out in their mind. It would be 750 bottles of wine to 1,000, depending on whether it was 20 gallons or 30 gallons. 1,000 bottles of wine. That is how that cup overfills. Now, we have a choice today. Will we allow Jesus to overfill our cups? Now, if you're not saved today, and I definitely would encourage you just to close your eyes and, and have a conversation with Jesus. Talk to him. Don't harden your heart. Just let him in. 
Just listen to him. Because he is whispering to you right now. He has so much love for you. He wants you to be a part of his family. He wants you to have all your sins washed away by his blood. And if you think about it, I probably would need about a hundred bottles or a thousand bottles of wine to probably wouldn't even come close to washing my sins away. But even in that song, that first song we sung, that he would wash it away to the point we would be white as snow. We all have that choice today. Even if you're saved, we still have sin in our lives. There's no way to escape it. As long as we're in this flesh, as long as we are controlled by this body, by our emotions, by the world, sometimes we don't even realize we're sinning. We're just following what everyone else is doing around us. That if you're saved today, this is a great time to ask the Lord to let you see. I mean, I, I think about my brother and my sister. Both of them are having problems with their eyesight. And I, I, I'll be honest, and I don't know why I'm saying this, because this has probably been on my heart for months. That in my life, my sight is my biggest fear. I am scared not to see. Now, I've always worn contacts, and, and I've been wearing contacts since I was five years old. But if I take my contacts out, I can't see anything. And that's the scariest thing in my life. And I could only imagine those that, that their sight can't be corrected by contacts or glasses. And even now, it seems this year, I had at least one thing going for me when I didn't have my contacts in that I could see up close. But now I can't even see up close without my glasses anymore. But when I think about the sight, the sight is so important, but there's a deeper sight. We need to see Jesus in our lives. That if you're saved today, pray that you see Jesus. Because he will reveal mysteries. He will reveal blessings. He will reveal different things that, that others have been praying, praying about that he can now work through you. So now my biggest fear is that I don't see Jesus in my life. I, when I read the scriptures, he says that if we are saved, he will un things that we will see that others cannot that are not saved so make that prayer but also pray for those that are, that are losing their sight because we also know in the Bible that he has given sight to those that have lost it and if we have the faith like Mary 
that we know that Jesus, and, and some were thinking maybe Jesus will just give some type of sermon at the, the wedding to kind of get them not to think about the wine. Others, I mean, there's a lot of interpretations of that scripture as I, as I study. I, I've seen how different people would, would look at that scripture. Um, and some don't know if, if Mary was actually talking about making wine or actually talking about preaching to those at the wedding. But I believe he did both. He had a powerful message that even though he didn't preach it that day, he gave me the opportunity to preach it today. 